your samples tomorrow. Kirk Cousins had a good year. Quavo gets cooking. Get fucked. Dirty play. I mean, I think it's just a football play. Like at the end of the day, it's. I mean, you can't say every every time a player of of importance, so to say, gets injured, it's going to be a dirty play. I do think Dude, I agree with that, but I do think that like by the and this is why I mean targeting for me is the dumbest thing ever because any tackle that's ever been made in football history is targeting. You're targeting the person with the ball to try to tackle them. Like it does whatever. But like that play by the letter of the law was not targeting, but it was a more it's a more dangerous play even though it's not targeting. You know what I mean? Like always yeah. when you finish high on a guy, and when I say finish high, it's finishing on a guy high on his body into the ground because then you get the driving. awful head bang where a lot of the biggest contact comes. Like that to me, I've seen 15 targeting calls this year that were not nearly as dangerous a play as that was. You know what I mean? All right. Yeah, yeah, I just also like when I hear targeting, like that takes me back to like when like Sean Payton had like the the Saints doing like bounty plays to like hurt people. Like I think the malicious intent part of it needs to be taken under more like consideration. Like if you see a guy who's like out there like actually trying to like almost harm people and like take them out, that then that's targeting like defenseless players. And you just smack them. That's targeting. But like you see it in the NFL all the time. I saw so many plays on Sunday that were somehow roughing the passer. I'm like, what's a guy got to do to get a sack these days? It is insane. They're all big guys. And they talk about putting their body weight down on them. It's like, you're asking so much in these seconds to, to, for a player to adjust and and torque their body and it's almost like they need to like hit them and then roll off it's it's crazy i don't get it yeah i did see that there was a thread of dallas uh dallas turner i think his name is he yeah. he was the guy who injured quinn ewers last year on that rough in the passer slammed He's... slammed his shoulder into the turf and there was like two other plays where it was like, is Dallas Turner a dirty player? And it's like, I don't know if he's necessarily dirty, but he does have a couple of huge injuries in games yeah, that ended up he's building completely a bit of benefiting list, Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so. The other, the other thing that I have, you know, an issue with is, is is it, or Beach? Kind of to your point there, there are things that D linemen, three hundred pound men are asked to do that is physically impossible. Like, especially a lot of them come up when a quarterback or a ball carrier starts, like darts down, like almost drops when a guy's about to hit them. And, it, you know, they're what they're supposed to matrix away from them to not make any contact to the head or neck. And also to be able to make a full tackle with zero of your own head or helmet is almost you basically have to break your neck to not involve it at all. So I, I always I always feel bad for D D linemen that are trying all game for just that sniff of the quarterback. And then they're finally gonna get it. 
the quarterback makes a movement that puts themselves at risk. The D lineman's just, you know, trying to get home, not dropping their head, not doing anything. But then, yeah, the, as they get a piece of them, they fall onto them or just literal, literal, just physics takes them on. And then they get, they get the flag called that one on Saturday. It did seem, you know, he would, it seemed like he was just, you know, it's a rivalry game. You're going to give him a little extra, you know, going to make him. You want to lick him. I mean, I you want yeah. a hard hit. Who Especially at the, you know, perhaps the best player in the country in one of the best rivalries of the country. You want to, you know, give the guy the business. I, I hope, I hope for, you know, everyone's sake that he wasn't doing it with the intent of giving him a concussion and taking him out of the game, but who knows that thread mart that you just mentioned I saw as well. And yeah, some, some indicting uh, plays there. It seemed like he's gotten himself in the middle of, uh, I think it was four uh, QB QBs getting knocked out of the game on, on hits of his, some, the Jackson dart one looked that was dirty where he's just like giving him the business, shoving his head back into the turf (laughs) um, after the play. But yeah, I, I'm just upset that, we didn't get maybe an all timer in the series if we see a full sixty minutes of Jaden Daniels in that game because the the shift was, you know, it basically the game was over the second he uh, he had to hit the sideline. I will say even before that, like I don't think Saban has lost back to back games to a quarterback ever. I think that I think I saw that maybe there's been one other instance. Drew Brees so- at Michigan State. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, it was it was back. Yeah, that was that that was that stat. That's why I bet on Alabama uh, going Same. into the last week that he hadn't lost in like 20, 30 years or whatever it and was. Also, just the way that game went down last year. I mean, that was an all timer last year. I is the as fans, I feel like we always try and get greedy with these big rivalry games and and think every single one of them is going to be like that. I, I thought they were going to win and cover regardless. Um, I just think Bama has taken such strides where before the season it was like they're going to be, you know, reminiscent of maybe older Bama teams where it's like we're bigger than you, we're stronger than you, we have more dudes, we're going to run the ball at a high uh, level and shove it right down your throat. And Milrow has just taken huge strides for me, honestly, like, I think Bama is, I mean, I've been saying this, I feel like every week, like everyone's kind of like forgot about them. Like they are very much in the hunt. I mean, with Georgia being as high ranked as they are, we know how it gets that 13th week uh, when the conference championships come around, you you get a lot of, you know, ranked matchups out of it. That's the beauty of the weekend. And especially with how this playoff shakes out and that kind of being, as I hit on last week, the last ingredient, so to say, to, to really, solidify your resume as a playoff team that gives Alabama an unbelievable chance to beat possibly the number one or two team in the country um, at a neutral site, uh, a game they're obviously familiar with an opponent they're familiar with. Um, and honestly, an opponent that's kind of gotten the better of them. I would say these last maybe like two, two years um, just as far as Georgia winning national championships and, and Bama really not. So um, it'll be interesting, but I am very excited. Uh, I think Bama is definitely a team to be reckoning with, uh, just kind of climbing the ladder little by little, little by little. Um, ultimately, I think they have a very easy schedule now remaining. I think they've kind of taken taken care of the um, Ole Miss, uh, who was, you know, I think they just moved up to number 10 in the college football rankings. 
They now just took care of LSU, who was possibly that team who could give them a little scare. Um, and now they're kind of in the driver's seat to uh, make it back to, um, I think, Atlanta's where they have that SEC championship and ultimately play play Georgia for probably a shot at the playoff. It's Yeah, I keep seeing that everybody is <laughs> – it's, everybody's just saying like Bama's going to win the title this year, aren't they? Like it's it's just seems like Saban kind of lulled us along. Like everybody wrote him off after Texas, Milrow stinks, all this, and then now you just see the progression of him. And he's a real deal guy. He's a real deal athlete. Obviously, he's at Alabama for a reason. And it's like shit, dude. If this guy can start making plays, like Bama has the talent every single year. So yeah, they're they're going to be right there. And I do think. I don't know, dude. I think they're a better team than Georgia, personally. Georgia has not shown me a whole lot. I know they they murdered Kentucky, but whatever. I, I they if if only they would have played somebody legit, I could have an eye test where I could be like, all right, Georgia's Georgia's the same old Georgia. But I I just don't see it. Bama's ha- got a couple of uh, teams that they've handled that are real deal teams. So. Yeah. I'd love to uh, quick interrupt this podcast with obviously the listeners will already know this, but for us right now, uh, college football playoff rankings just released uh, top six is the same. Uh, pretty much everything is really the same except Ole Miss and Penn state moving up one spots respectively Ole Miss at 10 and Penn state at nine. So still looking at that top six with the two pack 12 teams kind of on the outside looking in, but as we mentioned with conference championship week, uh, quickly approaching, I mean, that sets up a five versus six game uh, where, you know, not many teams are going to have a better conference championship. Like that might be the marquee game of week 13. You're watching a rematch, which is always fun to watch. Um, and you're seeing five versus six. So once again, top 10 relatively staying the same. Uh, Ole Miss up to nine, who's kind of sneaky, kind of sneaky with their one loss to Bama. Um, and then Penn State with obviously a big game this week um, at home against uh, Michigan. 10 verse three. So we'll see how that shakes out, but that's just a quick update for, for us right here on the pod. Interesting. So who was the team that dropped then for those two to move up? I think, well, um, Mizzou fell to 14. Oh, yeah, they were yeah, 11, yeah. Or they were, yeah, they were, I think Cause 12. They, yeah, Cause of the Georgia loss. Yeah. So yeah, Mizzou dropped, but I'm glad they didn't really punish them too much. Cause Mizzou is a two loss team. Uh, who who honestly played Georgia very well. I, I stared at that 15-point spread and kind of thought that was a lot. Because um, But it, yeah, you see no, the dogs I, of the past kind of beat down on teams like that, no matter what. And um, I think the other team... It was Oklahoma. I just, Oklahoma, yeah, Marty. Yeah, yeah. They, they dropped eight spots um, given their loss against Oklahoma State and Bedlam in the uh, last edition of the uh, of the Big 12 as we know it. Uh, Bedlam uh, over there in Stillwater, Oklahoma, um, got bested by Oklahoma State. So um, we've talked about the Big 12 and kind of how each of these conferences really has their premier team and in some cases almost two premier teams with respect to the SEC, Big 10, and Pac-12. But uh, Big 12 has kind of fallen to the wayside here um, and kind of looks like an opportunity for with, with especially all this Bama talk we've had for for Texas to maybe run the table um, and kind of be able to sit there at the end and point to, hey, our one loss is to Oklahoma, who's, you know, respect to them, they're still a good team. And but, it was also a big rivalry game. Yeah, too, and, and yeah. we beat Bama, who would be a playoff team. So, you know, it's obviously week by week, we kind of get uh, a better picture and teams start to fall to the wayside, but um, not much has changed so far in the rankings. 
yeah, I that's interesting that they didn't they didn't punish anybody or anything like that, even though Ohio State had kind of a close one against Rutgers, you know, they didn't fall. Georgia with a close one. But yeah, so they're kinda holding steady seeing how this plays out. So that's we're gonna see the same shit every week um, unless somebody loses, you know. I feel like it seems at this point. Or some of these premier games. Like, do you think Michigan goes to one with a win over Penn State on Saturday? No, honestly, because like Ohio State had that and Notre Dame to point to to get them to one. Um, I'd even be shocked if Michigan jumped Georgia, frankly, just because the way I, I don't think that should be the case. Um, as we discussed last week, like we kind of thought that Washington with their ranked win over Oregon and Florida State uh, with their win over LSU and kind of having a dominant undefeated season so far should be a little higher uh, than a team than Michigan who hasn't really played anyone. But it is a road game for Michigan and it is a top 10 opponent. I'm definitely a good opponent. You know, I, I just think maybe move up to two, but I, I definitely do not see them getting a case for one. And frankly, I'd love to see one versus two at the end of the season in Ann Arbor. Yeah, no, I, I it'd be cool if they're both undefeated for sure. And it almost makes me think where now that we see Notre Dame lays an egg against Clemson, LSU loses to Bama. So it's like, so the Ohio State, their win, that win at Notre Dame was their kind of differentiator so far. And or Florida State's getting propped up by their win against LSU. But now that both teams are at three losses, Notre Dame and LSU, if they like, yeah, say they lose another one, are they, is, is that going by the wayside where we're seeing that Notre Dame and LSU aren't as good now as everybody thought they were at the time? Mark, Mark, before you, before you even brought that up, I was about to add, pose the question. How where do you guys land on and I it I think it's pretty split because you kind of just take it with what's more convenient to your team, but in terms of what the is it and I, I tend to be on this side, but is it where the team was when you beat them or where you finish? Because I obviously early, you know, and a thing that gets lost, I think, is well, a team will obviously go down 99% of the time because you added a loss for them. You know what I mean? So, like, they're going to drop in the ranking regardless because yeah, they definitely. have now one loss to you. But, like, at NC State for Notre Dame, right, that was our first ranked win. They're not going to finish ranked. So, looking back, it's like, was that a ranked NC State team because they finished with four or five losses? But it is an interesting argument because you learn more by the end of the year, but you'll try to pick around what the game was, what the where the teams were when they played each other, and where teams are positioned before and after. So yeah, those those wins are lessening every week. But do you take into account? Oh no, well, LSU came at number five; they were deserving of number five. You can't, you know, retroactively move them, but. I think both can. I think both are a little true. It's like you know, Notre Dame's not great. They looked great against Ohio State, but maybe that takes a little against Ohio State, vice versa. I think there's a little bit of legitimacy when it is a out of conference uh, game because you know, it, let's say like let's take for example Alabama Texas here. Before the before you get into conference play, there you know there is a certain tone set there that you know. 
if if like Bama won that game and then they play a tough SEC and then Texas goes down, like they still beat like a really good Texas team there out of conference. Now, I think when you get into this interconference play and like let's use Notre Dame, that example there, I know they're not in the ACC, but they do play in a, a heavy dominated ACC schedule. That is not a ranked win for them. I know they were ranked at the time and, you know, tensions were high there, but like if, if a team is, you know, two and zero when you play them and then they finish 10 and two, it's not the same ball. It's not the same ball club that you really played, you know, things happen around the season, you know, your scheme might not hold up over time. Uh, some, some teams, you know, you know, are really good at the beginning of the year. I always say like my frustration with as a Michigan fan is watching them play these teams and I'm sitting there at the big house watching them play Purdue. And I'm like, they're playing one high safety the whole time. JJ McCarthy's a great thrower of the football. Where's that deep shot? You know, that we see the the Bamas and the Ohio States and the, the Georgias, these dominant offenses, Clemsons of year past, Oklahoma, really extending and pushing the football downfield. I know that's not really Michigan's game, but I get frustrated seeing that saying, why aren't we taking this opportunity to, you know, kind of run these plays? Um, then I kind of ate my words last year when they're throwing the ball downfield against Ohio State. Are those more schemes that are safe for these bigger games down the slate where, you know, in a game against Penn State this weekend, Penn State's thinking, hey, Michigan keeps it between the tackles. They like to run the football a lot. They like to get their players speed and space, uh, you know, getting these small little dig routes going, uh, quick outs to the tight end. Th- that's all good, but I think where you start to see it is almost like you don't have that film of them pushing the ball downfield. So I think that's a part of it, but it's it's interesting to see, uh, you know, how that works out there. Yeah, I think um, on the matter of ranked wins and everything like that, it's not like you can control. You can only control who you're playing at the time. So if a team is ranked when you're playing them, I think it should count as a ranked win. But I'm just saying it more so like it's it's cannot like that. That is a st- uh, stat and it should be when it comes to measuring these teams. But like as far as like being number one or like anything like that, where coming down the stretch where there's razor thin margins, it's like, yeah, I, this Notre Dame team is not that good. Like we're seeing it clearly. And like this LSU team has zero defense and we didn't know either of those things at the time but now once you get a bigger sample size like you can't it's not like ohio state can control notre dame not being good but i mean that game was damn close but you also didn't know it you know from that game you know which is another aspect like you can there's been games big games like ohio state notre dame where a loss breaks a team and then they're a completely different team the rest of the way. Like I, I think that Ohio, it's valid that Ohio State, Ohio State, that loss might have broken Notre Dame this year, and they haven't looked the same since. Their O line, their trenches haven't looked the same, and you know I think that's a, that would be an argument too. Is sometimes you just can't recover from a big loss like that, and you are two different teams. So when you played. You were, you know, you were a four and zero undefeated, and you got a top five team coming in on the road. And then at the end of the season, when you're qualifying these wins, it's like, oh, Notre Dame's unranked. They lost four games. Um, you know that that one doesn't. It's not actually as big a win. It's like, you know, well, maybe they're just a different team now. Maybe they were a different team after that loss. 
they couldn't bounce back. And, you know, that might be, you know, that might mean something in and of itself, but I, I tend to lean more towards at the time of kickoff. What do you know about both teams? What's true about both teams? And we can worry about the rest later, but yeah, like you said, Mark, with the razor, razor thin margins and you're, you might have to, you know, the premise, the possibility of leaving a team out that's done everything right. Those, that kind of thing might come up because it has to, but for the most part, it shouldn't matter until it really has to. If a team takes a very, you know, upward or downward or possibly upward trajectory after you won that game, because it works, it works the other way too. And, you know, the more you think about it is you beat an unranked team, they lost that game and then they rattled off eight straight and ended up, you know, top 10. So it was, they weren't ranked when you, when you beat them, but they sure as hell were one of the best teams in the country when it, when the, uh, when the season came to a close. Yeah. Like it does go both ways. Absolutely. But I think ultimately that's why the, the strength of record is concluded by the end of the season. Um, it is fun, you know, for, for the media and for, for people who are very interested in college football to be able to have these weekly rankings, but like take this week, for instance, did we really think much was going to change really within the top 10? I mean, I probably could have told you what the top 10 was going to was going to be uh, comprised of. Obviously, Oklahoma and Missouri moving down. That allows Missouri, or, uh, Ole Miss and Penn State to move up. But that's where the strength of record gets uh, taken into account. So obviously, like that margin for Georgia and Ohio State had to have gotten thinner because Georgia beat a ranked team. And then not even taking into account what Ohio State did, but taking into account their ranked win at Notre Dame at the time, which looked really good, no longer is carrying that much that much weight. As aren't they a four loss ball club or three, three or four in Notre Dame? Can't remember. Three. three loss. So I mean, that's the thing, is you know, that that margin's gotta be shrinking there. And at the end of the season, you know, you can't really count that. Will it still be counted as a big win? Yeah, absolutely. Stakes were high. It was a buzzing game night in South Bend. I think that's still considered a big win, but I think there's a difference between a big win and then like a strength, a thing that helps your strength of record. Yeah, that's yeah, I like that. So, you know, ultimately you're going to see that, and that's where I hope like, okay, a perfect example, Michigan had like the 114th uh, strength of schedule. Georgia had like 107th. But guess what? They have like the number one and number two hardest schedule remaining where Michigan's got to play two top 10 teams right now down the stretch. Georgia's got to play Ole Miss. They got to play Tennessee. They got to play a Florida team who's not horrible, a a rivalry game in the last game of the season that, you know, could definitely, uh, you know, maybe cause some issues for them. So that's for them where it's almost like NCAA basketball, where it's like, do you want to get hot at the right time kind of going in, or do you want to take care of business early where I feel like a couple podcasts, we talked about this where, you know, some teams are scheduling those harder games first. It kind of, you give it, you get a sense for your identity. It can shape your season. Ohio state to Chuck, to your point might not be the same team today. Had they lost in South Bend, Notre Dame would definitely not be the same team riding that momentum. I have a hard time believing after beating Ohio state at home that they struggle against Louisville. I have a hard time believing that they dropped this one against Clemson because the stakes are that much higher 
I don't necessarily want to sit here and say that, you know, it's, it's their livelihood. I don't want to say that that impacts how they do their job. Um, but, you know, we all have a job to do. And, you know, when you kind of get the ball rolling a little bit more, work comes to you a little easier, the wins feel better. And honestly, that's just the way it is in college football as well. Yeah, that's a good point, too, because just being we were at the game in Clemson and the sideline of Notre Dame was never really into the game. They were just kind of flat. I yeah. guarantee you if there was pressure, like you could tell that there was obviously they're playing to finish strong, whatever, like all that bullshit playing New Year's six. Like that's a goal, I guess. Now it's not. But if there was a national championship still on the line, I guarantee you there would be guys like let's like screaming at it, like just getting like, let's go come on, type of shit that you see on a sideline with energy. Even if you're away, obviously it's hard to channel that, but it's different when there's stakes a thousand percent. And you would have seen, or we would have seen that and we didn't. And so that's a good point where one game like that can affect six games. And, and then the other point you made about getting hot at the right time too, when you schedule get the other example to combat that is, if you schedule early, look at what it's done for Ohio State. There's a reason why they're number one. It's because they scheduled that game against Notre Dame, and that's paid dividends. Now, theoretically, if they finish number one, they're going to get the quote-unquote uh, easiest team to, to go to the national. You know what I mean? There, so there's benefits, yeah. too, by doing that. But It's almost like it's easier to fall than it is – or it's, it's easier to climb than it is to fall. Like – you know, if we sit here and Georgia's ranked one the whole season, I know they're not anymore, but if they run the table and go 12-0 and 0 and then lose to Bama, it's like, well, they've been one all year. Like, you know, they should still compete for a national championship and come in there at four. Um, to, the, to the initial point we we're making, though, I think this is where the 12-team format is beautiful. It gives teams a chance to play for something late in these seasons. Like LSU going into that game, as a two-loss team, you you there's never been a two-loss team to make the playoff. You know you're effectively eliminated, especially in a year like this where there's a lot of really, really good one-loss teams, zero-loss teams. This gives you something to play for. Notre Dame, where you discussed New Year's Six aspirations as a goal, that switches the mentality, switches to not just making like a peach bowl where you could play Tulane into, wow, we know we can compete with the number one team in the country in Ohio state. Cause they literally did it. We need to win this football game. We need to beat Louisville. We need to beat Clemson because at effectively, even if you lose that second game, Notre Dame's probably still in a position where they make the playoff. And I, I would not want to play a talented Notre Dame team like that. If I was sitting at ranked, you know, like five through eight. I think that'd be a tough game for them, but it, it affects the mentality. I think that's where it's going to be beautiful next year. That is the greatness of, of the 12 team playoff is you're a little bit more engaged. You don't just drop that second game and not, not again, not saying that these teams pack it up. Cause obviously you see two lost teams probably with respect to Oklahoma this year, making the big 12 championship and still being able to compete for a league championship is important but ultimately, everyone's goal is to make it to those semifinal games, to make it to the championship game. So next year, for those teams who lose two and three games, that becomes a reality. Yeah, Mark, you said it. We said it four or five times throughout the game. There were, what, seven times our, in a one-score game that our defense gave the offense the ball, saying, let's go tie this thing up. But you didn't see that on the sideline. Like, 
us as some fans in a way in hostile territory in Death Valley were going nuts every time we got the stop, get the ball back. Okay, let's do something. Normally you see some of that, you know, um, cohesion with the defensive unit coming off the field and the offensive unit, you know, loving the work they just did, getting excited. Thanks, boys. Like, we'll take it from here, that kind of thing. Defensive unit was coming off the field, going to their side, taking their helmets off. Offense was staying by themselves. And I'm like, this doesn't look like a team that's, you know, going to get this ball and go down and score and tie it. And they didn't. Like, I I was very disappointed in that regard because I think a lot of what Freeman had been talking about would have – and I I, I guess in all scenarios, like the one we were in, every coach is going to say that, you know, that we might not win it this year, but, damn, we're going to fight till the end. You know, when they're out there, they're fighting, but it it didn't look like, you know, they wanted it in that much. It like they, you know, oh, well, our title hopes are already gone. So, you know, let's try to win this one, but not a huge deal if we don't. It it was just kind of a weird. it, It was it rubbed me the wrong way. And I think any fan would feel the same if they saw their their team doing that. I do want to thank the lovely people of Clemson, South Carolina for their hospitality. I I made a joke on last week about how Notre Dame is the friendliest and most hospitable fan base. So we better get the same. And 99% we did. Everyone was hoping and telling us that they wanted, uh, they hoped that everyone was treating us well. They hoped we enjoyed it. Um, you know, here are the places very hospitable everyone was great and um oh man what a what a cathedral of college football clemson south carolina is dude i mean i the way i've been explaining it is it's just fansville it's basically fan if fansville was a real place it's just clemson you know everyone like faces painted uh every play is for the national championship uh, state versus um, what's it? State versus Tech in in Fansville. Yeah. Like you should have heard the play. You should have heard Memorial Stadium erupt every time they showed the South Carolina versus Jacksonville State game. It was like Clemson had just scored a touchdown when they were putting up the score graphic, and Jacksonville State was tied and with South Carolina late in the second half. Just you know, a beautiful, beautiful um, house of college football there. So. Um, would definitely go back, um, whether for a, just a trip, whether for Notre Dame in town again. But yeah, what a what an environment. Beach, I wanted. I, this is leading me into a question I had for you. You were in the big house, boots on the ground in the big house this weekend. What is the what's the Michigan fan base like right now? No, you know is. Is it the only thing people are talking about? Obviously, the elephant in the room, the stallion in the room. But um, is there ner- Are there nerves? Are are people just you know couldn't care less? Like let's win some more football games, or, or what was your general pickup from being around a hundred thousand Michigan fans? Honestly, did not come up, and you know I do think that I was in a uh, in a unique position where uh, you know one of one of our friends here on the podcast, uh, Henry Weidenbach, his brother is a walk on on the team. So that being said, was kind of around uh, some players' families. 
Uh, you never know, you know, if you're going to be like around a starting right guard or, you know, a starting running back or, you know, some, some, someone on the defensive sides family, uh, you know, they obviously take that shit pretty seriously. So it really did not come up honestly. And, you know, which I think is good. Cause I do think that there has been kind of a, uh, you know, I, I don't want to stay arrogance or, or naiveness surrounding the Michigan fandom. I think it's more of a, of a confidence um, obviously, you know, we love Jim Harbaugh there in Ann Arbor. You know, he, you know, we always talk about the Michigan man, uh, kind of reminiscent of people like Lloyd Carr and Bo Schembechler back in the day who you just feel really embody the university of Michigan. And, you know, you, you, you trust your coach, you, you know, that he has the player's best interest and in everything. So that is honestly not, did not come up at all, uh, which I thought was, you know, a breath of fresh air since every time you turn on ESPN or scroll Twitter, that is all you're going to see. Um, I do think it has been interesting in the, uh, you know, the story gets thicker by the week, uh, which is honestly uh, becoming hilarious. And, you know, to, to see people, I think I saw Stephen A. Smith say, we should just strike the hammer down and not allow Michigan to compete for a national championship, even though they're clearly a top four team this year which I think is just ludicrous. I mean, in this country, we have due process and innocent until proven guilty. So I don't understand why we can just sit here and um, aside from Harbaugh, really, really the players, you know, you talk about, you know, Michigan as the mantra, those who stay will be champions, those players. And especially with COVID years and red shirts, you got guys who have been in the program five, six years now that, uh, you know, have kind of been waiting for this moment where, where Harbaugh's got his QB, he's got it to work with. Harbaugh is known for winning with QBs, uh, whether that's been at the professional level uh, with Kaepernick having his breakout season and making the Super Bowl, um, Andrew Luck at Stanford. Uh, now you're seeing J.J. McCarthy really step into that mold and and kind of fit that Michigan quarterback who's allowing Jim Harbaugh to you know, win games and compete at the highest level. So I, I don't think that that is fair at all. Um, the, the NCAA, as we discussed last week, is notorious for molasses-like uh, investigations. Um, it does not seem that I believe to my knowledge that the big 10 is going to really get involved to me. This strikes me as an after season kind of thing. I don't see any wins, any titles, nothing getting negated. Um, this is, this is a slap on the wrist thing uh, where honestly, I, I saw a clip from, from one of my favorites in, in, in sports personalities, Colin Coward saying it's like everyone's speeding on the highway. Like everyone's doing it. Like Michigan was just going 88 and the other people are going 75. Like everyone's still speeding, but I guess Michigan was speeding faster or something like that. Like it's, it's ludicrous. I, we, I feel like this is, we're having the same discussions because we, we don't see any evidence and the evidence that people want to point to on social media is nothing other than what you could see as an in-game adjustment um, of, you know, seeing signs and, you know, scheme like that. And now you've seen where possibly we've had, I think it was Rutgers, like maybe Iowa and Ohio State kind of almost colluding in a fact to to steal Michigan's signs. So it's kind of like Uno reverse card. Michigan is now like, you want to go? I mean, we got this. And then now we got the Ryan Day, his brother with it, with, it, with the private investigator, quite possibly maybe violating federal law to to leak this story, which would be absolutely hilarious if Ryan Day went to prison for for Jim Harbaugh cheating. Uh, but it's a, I'm glad it didn't come up in Ann Arbor. The consensus really to answer your question is it's not on our mind. What's on our mind is taking care of business this week in Happy Valley. 
and ultimately taking care of business November 25th uh, when that team down south comes up to Ann Arbor. Wow, yeah, the the um the reversals on Twitter this week, the narrative is definitely starting to change a little bit or maybe not the narrative. I think it's still pretty um you know, this is still Michigan defending themselves, but I I do agree with what Coward was saying, you know, where it's never one team. You know, if one team's doing it, everyone is doing it. And that goes for almost everything. Um, similar to USC uh, during the Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart era, you know, you'd be completely ignorant to believe that Reggie Bush was the only one that got himself a car in college football that year. And, you know, those things are widespread. You know, whether it's academic dishonesty, whether it's people paying players, there's going to be one that has to be the example, one that has to be the, you know, the fall guy or the first domino to fall. But it would be hilarious if, you know, just the exact same kind of uh, whether it's the Connor stallions of other schools, like who let's look at who these low level staffers for other schools that might be involved in this and start digging into them. If more names like stallion starts coming up from other schools. And I mean, especially where this is immediately going to become another Ohio state, Michigan thing. So if you don't think there's, not you know 500,000 Michigan Wolverine fans doing some uh you know independent journalism on what goes on at Ohio State behind the scenes to combat what's been going on in Ann Arbor you're you're just you're just dumb yeah I'll just never understand too the the thing that came out with sitting on like the 50 yard line with an iPhone 14, 15, even if it's the pro max version where you got the best camera Apple offers, you can't see shit. I mean, you cannot, it, it is, it is impossible. And to do that for a full game, I think is even more ludicrous. So what we've seen out of this is nothing really be tied to Harbaugh. Um, Connor Stallions, you know, did not cooperate with any internal, any external investigators. Um, He has not linked this to Harbaugh at all. Um, Jim and traditional Jim fashion has just been like, yeah, I don't, I don't even really know what's going on. I mean, we're, we're focused on watching film for Penn state and we're also watching our, our daily, or weekly little bit of Ohio state film to get prepared for the game. Um, as we mentioned earlier, this could be a one versus two matchup. I think you need to stay focused, um, especially with respect to Michigan, having the hardest schedule remaining in college football. Uh, you got to stay sharp and it's, it's nice to not let this outside noise, um, especially living in a society where you can be found guilty on Twitter, which is just crazy. Um, and obviously in college football, it's it's even more ludicrous um, to not really have any evidence other than scheme that maybe look too good at the time. Like, I mean, that's just called good football. Uh, I don't really know what more to say about that. Good players making good plays. Well said. You look, you feel, it feels like you'd take the stand right now, Beach. Yeah, I was going to say that's that sounds like a courtroom like final plea to the the jury like <laughs> not taking the fifth on this one. I I got I got an argument ready to go. So, Jim, if you need me, I'm here. Uh you can put 
I think I'd have some credibility as a uh, as a local podcaster who talks ball, but um, maybe that's for a later date. Hopefully not, because I hope this issue is resolved. Um, but it, it's it's been funny just to see the developments. Um, again, living in this social media world, just to see what what what's coming to light. Um, the reversals, you know, really just the whole story is just. It just keeps getting thicker by the day, by the week. So it'll be – who knows where we'll be by by the game, uh, November 25th. I mean, that is uh, literally coming up, you know, in a few weeks where it's going to happen. And it's – you know, he's fired. I, I don't really know what other excuse you're going to have if you lose. And, you know, obviously I'm going to ride with the boys in blue and – and take the Michigan Wolverines defending home turf and winning another Big Ten championship. How many, do you know off the top of your head, how many of these matchups have been one versus two? I know the most recent one was 2006, and I want to say it was a 42-41 Ohio State victory in Columbus. Um, I I think maybe more when you get back into like the 10-year war um, between Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechler. I think there might have been a couple. Um, obviously times were different back then where, you know, there was no big 10 championship. So that really was the big 10 championship. Um, but with respect to one versus two, I, I mean, I remember that 2006, I think that's one of my earliest football memories, honestly, is watching that game and, um, you know, remembering, you know, anytime you see one versus two, especially as like a little kid, it's, you know, your eyes kind of light up, um, especially with, you know, what followed after really only seeing the sec kind of be able to populate that. Um, with with Michigan kind of dropping off a little bit. Um, that's the most recent one. And, you know, last year, I think it was two versus three. Um, and my prediction last year was 11 and 0 versus 11 and 0 since the first time since 06. So now I'm hoping for one versus two for the first time since 06. Uh, and this time, Buckeyes aren't going to get it in Columbus. They're going to have to come to Ann Arbor. Um, I do also like speaking of kind of like changing the narrative um, about the Michigan schedule. It's you know what? We're not going to go from, okay, keep saying we have the easiest schedule to no, we have a a decent or fine schedule. It's no, we got the toughest schedule left. (laughs) The toughest schedule in week week 11 on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. Uh, Honestly. And, uh, the kind of the spacer between these these two big games for them is a honestly a talented Maryland team who gave Ohio State a little bit of a run. Um, I'm I'm not too worried about that, but you, I do get worried with you know Michigan wins a top ten game on the road, a little bit of a hangover hitting, uh, and that that is not going to be something that they can't afford um, because as as much as it could be a hangover game, it, you know it, it's got to be viewed as a tune up. Uh, you know, we got to be looking good. We got to have every facet of the game, special teams, offense, defense, be firing on all cylinders to be ready for that game. Um, was honestly thinking the Purdue game would be a little bit more of a tune up. But again, with kind of what I said earlier, I'm kind of hoping that Michigan has saved a little bit more of their downfield, pushing the ball plays for these last two games. Because you look at your schedule at Michigan, like, you know, that these these are it. You have these circle. You go. We gotta win these two, and the rest will probably fall into place. That that's the narrative that's going right now. So you know they, they just got to be able to take care of business. And uh, but again, hardest schedule remaining. So that's the yeah, new narrative. A talented Maryland team that recently lost to U of I in 
lost 51 to 15 to Penn State last week. Yeah, well, you never know. I mean, each team brings <laughs> their best, especially when you get the big dogs coming into town. So, no spin zone. So much, so much for the no spin zone, Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, but you, I mean, you have to. Everyone does their own spin, their own rap on on who they got. And I mean, um, similarly, uh, an, a problem that Notre Dame had had there for much of the Kelly era, I'll say, is those games that we would normally have circled. They just weren't the same. We were better. Um, and substantially better and better recruiting, better execution than are the rival rivalry games that we played every year. So, you know, the strength, the schedule stuff came for us and it's like, you know, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame when the schools you play every year and that used to be great matchups are no longer, then you need to kind of go out and find better matchups if if our Penn State and our Ohio State aren't playing to top 10 top five or really like even top 20 those down USC years it's like okay well let's we got to get some other people on the schedule so we play somebody and then you know you do a home and home Clemson home and home Georgia and you got to mix it up but um, to Michigan or to the credit of the Big Ten East you know all those three teams have stayed incredibly relevant and done extremely well nationally. So those games still mean a ton every year and it doesn't give a ton of, you know, um, just kind of need to go out and schedule some tough out of conference games when, you know, you're going to be playing two top 10 games down the stretch, but yeah, uh, it is what it is. It'll be changing soon. Um, conference realignment and playoff expansion. So there'll be, I think there there will immediately the strength of schedule and scheduling um, critiques will come to a a pretty substantial halt here um, with the new format. It just won't mean as much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with the, with the the Big Ten adding those teams, the uh, the whole other side of the Big Ten that brand of football, it's like it's gonna get like burned at the stake. It's like Oregon, whoever I don't know if they've decided yet, but if it's it's like Oregon and Washington step into the the side of the division where they're like, holy shit, dude, we just gotta play fucking Iowa and Nebraska to go yeah. to a Big Ten championship. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, it's, <laughs> it's twenty nine yeah, point over unders they're walking into. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're like, yeah, are you serious? This team can't even snap the ball. We, we fucking. <laughs> and that's where the team I think we the, have to beat on the road. And that's why I think the Big Ten is in more of a unique position rather than the other of the power, which will be power four conferences, because Michigan and Ohio State right now are at the top of the college football world. To come in and, and switch with, with respect to them playing last game of the season, which I think most people want to keep, but that rivalry weekend is one of the best weekend in sports. I don't know with them being at the top of their game right now, the top of the college football world, if you can sit there right now and, and not have divisions. Uh, because I think the expectation, uh, you know, obviously this year would be a little bit different where, holy shit, you'd have – Washington and Oregon in there could kind of spice things up a little bit and they've played each other, you know, already, but we've talked about this. You do not really want to see Michigan, Ohio state play back to back weeks. I don't really know if, I mean, it's, it's a good game, but I don't know if it's necessarily good. 
for 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 the Big Ten. So I hope they try and keep these conferences. I'd love to see. I mean, with Wash, how Washington, Oregon, and you know USC's ability to recruit and probably be able to tell those recruits now and maybe get someone from who wants to play Big Ten football but also likes the idea of living in in California now can have the ability to still play. Oh, my family's from Toledo. We're still going to be playing, you know, in Evanston at Columbus, you know, maybe at happy that like they still have that ability to, to bring those games home. And that might allow players to go out there a little bit, keeping those teams still at high level. Uh, So that being said, I'd love to see those teams almost get on the other side of the big 10 kind of bring them in and and because right now like it, it, with like if you had them in that side of the big 10 and they were just beating down like the the purdue's the nebraska's the wisconsin's like i'd be really excited to almost see that oregon washington game now the winner of that is really in the driver's seat to be playing the winner of michigan ohio state that then is a whole different saga of things where the big 10 championship gets a little bit more exciting Um, And it still will be if they keep it, you know, the top two teams in the conference. But I really can't think of another conference, maybe with respect to Auburn and Alabama, but Auburn's not looking too hot right now. Uh, Like if you do this back in like 2013, yeah, there's probably some uproar. Like, hey, we do not want to see, you know, this game played two years in a row. This this is a game that's supposed to be supposed to be played once a year. It's it's do or die keeping those high stakes available. So I don't yeah. really see that in another conference. Yeah. I mean, on the flip side to, you know, you know, not wanting to see Michigan, Ohio state two weeks in a row, you know, the flip side is having to see, you know, one of those two teams play Iowa um, and, you know, how terrible an idea that is. Um, and, you know, there's just no equality across the division in the big 10 to where, you know, it's not, it's, it's no one's fault that every team on that side of the conference is complete dog shit. You know, it's not Michigan and Ohio state's fault. So they shouldn't have to pay for that, but should the American public have to pay for that big 10 championship game where, and you know, to Northwestern's credit, they've actually scrapped in a few of those games they've played in, but um, you know, I'm half joking, but it I in an ideal world, there'd be someone else that would play after play the winner of Michigan, Ohio State in the Big Ten championship, and you wouldn't have the, you know, the hypothetical of them having to go play back to back weeks. But in 2020, Notre Dame and Clemson, I was all for it, almost played three times. Once during the ACC regular season, once in the ACC championship, and we're very close to playing in the college football playoff, which would have been honestly hysterical to, you know, play 13 college football games, three of them against one team um, is just kind of a funny and with it being the rubber match um, makes it a little a little more interesting, but still with 130 plus division one teams, you really shouldn't be playing teams more than once on a, you know, 12 team schedule. But Yeah. Like the big 10 is going to be so big. Like my, my hope is that that doesn't happen. And I guess my really just to keep things short, hoping that the PAC 12 additions allow 
for the other side of the Big Ten to to get better and put a put a better Big Ten West champion out there because I do think that model works uh, with especially how many teams will be inside each division. Uh, you can open it up and you know play the other side a little bit more, so it keeps your Big Ten schedule and your Big Ten rankings, your win and losses more in check. Like, I mean, if Michigan had to play in the middle of the season, play this Washington team, like that gets that gets creative there. I mean. Michigan could could lose that game and go into the Big Ten East final, so, so to say, against Ohio State as a ten and one team versus eleven and zero Ohio State, and that's a must win and in uh, for them. So I really hope that they keep that. I mean, that's how I would do it, just because I think it preserves the rivalry. Um, you know, the rivalry again with respect to the players, they're not really going to take it easy on each other. It's not like you're going to see like, oh, it really doesn't matter who wins this game because, you know, we're both going to play again next week. So to say for all the marbles, which matters a little bit more, but who knows how they're going to do it. I don't think it's been announced yet. So we'll see how things shake out. But once again, that's kind of a conversation for next year. Yeah, unfortunately, there's not too great a slate this coming Saturday um Ole Miss Georgia I'm hoping I'm I'm really hoping Ole Miss plays their um to what they're capable of because it's about time someone someone does that with Georgia and you know similar to um you know some of the comps we've been saying in the rankings with Ohio State and Georgia both teams have gotten in some tendencies of playing with their food a little bit um you know, doesn't make them any lesser of a team. It's just, you know, for whatever reason, getting out the gate slow. And and that's obviously been a big argument for Michigan here this year is Michigan hasn't played with their food. They just take it and eat it. Um, that being the major difference between some of these teams. But um, we have Ole Miss, Georgia. We have Michigan, Penn State. And, um, you know, I'm hoping as well, similar kind of game in my in my opinion is uh florida state miami uh miami's still capable of of giving a team a run for their money i mean clemson clemson had is a four loss team with a bunch of talent and not great quarterback play and they got beat by miami miami's capable of giving florida state a run and i think it's about time that florida state you know I think they're due for a loss, and I think they yeah. really might get it this week. You know, speaking yeah, like of Clemson, that. they won on that that missed field goal. Yeah, I might take I might take Miami money line, dude. I like that. I think they're going to lose. They're I just don't know due. if they can afford that. Uh, with with how you're ranking these Big Ten teams and how you're ranking in the near future, these SEC teams with kind of Bama creeping in, you know, little by little, like, as I said it initially, like you have two great teams out of the SEC, two great out of the big 10 and two great out of the PAC 12. Those are six teams. And then plus Florida state kind of vying for four spots, even Texas. And in Texas. Too. So Texas and Florida state are really in that position to not be able to lose. And I don't think Florida state's, uh, make possible loss to Miami puts them in the same position as as a Texas because LSU is falling as we said as we started this podcast with strength of record that is impacting the Seminoles 
in a way. So they, I kind of, with them falling a little bit and being possibly finishing as a nine and three at best ball club, their strength of record is going down. They need to be in a position, I believe, to go 12 and 0 um, and make the playoff. Uh, Bama or Texas obviously has that win over Alabama, which is with Oklahoma losing that one and, you know, having a close game against UCF, like Oklahoma's not looked great. And we kind of saw them falter last week, but that's a rivalry game that they lost. And then they can still hang their hat on while we beat Bama uh, in a, in a huge game at Bama. So, and which could be a, a college football playoff team. So I don't really know if they can afford that loss. And I obviously no no team plays to feel like you can give one up, but I have to believe that uh, Norvell is going to keep his team sharp and uh, hopefully they don't play with their food this weekend, as you said, Chuck, because I think Florida State's a great football team. I want to see them compete for a national championship. Um, I've had them in the play- my playoff to really start the season. So I'm high on the Knowles. I think they take care of business, but I do think it could be one of those games that reminds them like, hey, we can't fuck around because – that play or something goes sideways and we lose this game, we're done. Yeah, the the other the last two games on the slate are Utah Washington and you know it's a shame Utah dropped that extra game, but you know, they're still a great team. And Tennessee, Missouri, 14 versus 16. I think that is a great matchup. Um, you know, no playoff implications there. I just think that's gonna be a darn good football game. And did you guys know Josh Dobbs is a rocket scientist? Yeah. I keep seeing that on Twitter. I never knew that. I I just knew he was solid at Tennessee. That's about my <laughs> knowledge of yeah. Josh Dobbs. He's wicked smart. And, and he has alopecia. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny that um, you get more publicity for being a pretty good football player than being just a, you know, top not point nine percent uh fucking brain or genius. i mean rock, just genius yeah yeah it's like oh he was pretty good at football oh he's a genius uh whatever but he was pretty good yeah at who gives a fuck yeah <laughs> i mean it's oh, good to man. know he's got something good to fall back on i mean just start is that is that like are people with alopecia smarter less less blocking things coming into their brain is that what people are saying should we do the a hair. study the hairs getting in the way of the information flooding into your brain, maybe. Yeah, it's. Is he the only rocket scientist to ever come out of an SEC school? Is also my other question. Might be. Uh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, I know Quinn and Williams probably isn't. Um, no. Kool Aid McKinstry. I don't think his major is rocket science. Most of these guys are communication guys. Yeah, that's honest and the the general studies. I remember the Dayton basketball um, uh, senior night when they go and everyone says their degree. It was, I think, eight general studies, and then what's his name? Ryan Mikesell was like mechanical engineering. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. There's always the one guy that's just actually. I used to crack up watching like in uh like you know the old NCAA basketball 10 game like when you're shooting the free throw it like shows you their major and like they'd like just like randomly make a guy like like <laughs> advanced history studies I'm like no they're not like they're communications like let's just be real here EA I mean I don't know why you're trying to include every major in here 
Uh, there's certainly some majors that, I mean, honestly, football is a full-time job. Like you got to be yeah. a special kind of person to be able to take on uh, doing, doing studies that, you know, require a lot out of a college kid already, much less toppled on top of uh, playing football at a really high level, uh, which usually the SEC does. So good for Josh Jobs. Yeah, I mean, he might be the smartest person with alopecia and the best athlete with alopecia at the same time. I want to get his S2 uh, pre-draft thing. I bet he got like a perfect score. On oh, that. yeah. I, I like when yeah, I like the Wonderlick thing, the thing that Stroud apparently failed and wasn't going to be a good NFL QB, even though he's one of the best rookie quarterbacks we've ever seen. I think we might have done um, Wonderlick scores on on here before, but <laughs> I think we talked about it. We should do. Um, I know that hey, Warren got a four. That's all. Yeah, I know. that's the lowest ever, right? Like him and Frank Gore. Yeah, confirmed. Frank Gore got a five. Rocket scientists. Um. Yeah. I'm looking for Josh Dobbs here. God, he must. They probably didn't even think about making it public at the time. We're like, yeah, this this guy's not going to do shit. We're not even releasing this one. Or they just knew he was wicked smart, and they just weren't even going to make him take a test because he's an actual rocket scientist, which, like, gets used as, like, hyperbole when it's like, oh, that guy's really smart. Like, yeah, he's a rocket scientist. He's a whiz. Like, no, no, no. Like, he actually is a rocket scientist. That if wasn't if he wasn't slinging the ball on Sundays or backing someone up, he would be working for NASA, quite possibly trying to get us to the moon or get us to Mars. Where wow. Christian McCaffrey, going. not great, buddy. Lower wonder. So you're saying he didn't? Then he didn't get to the Stanford on his on his brain. No, I'm looking at some guys that are definitely not rogue scholars. Who did much better than him? Damn, good score from Zeke, 32. Yeah, 12, he's 11 points higher than McCaff. Um, oh, Dre Archer, we talked about him earlier. Le'Veon. Apparently, Menchu top Dobbs in the NFL's Wonderlick test. Uh, Menchu got a 42, and Dobbs got a 29. 29 <laughs> from Dobbs, dude? So, I guess. Is, he, is that a cupcake? Uh, rocket science program they got running in maybe well here's another guy obviously who we know is really smart ryan fitzpatrick the harvard guy he has the tied for the highest score ever with a 48 um you're not ever gonna guess who number two is uh he's on espn now greg mcelroy former bama quarterback also came in with a 48 um there's a reason he's working on espn now um, I, obviously that score did not really hold up um, as far as playing wise. Ben Watson, 48. Uh, ben Watson, so, beast. Wow, Kelvin Benjamin with a seven. Ooh. I want to take this just to see where we would come in. I took uh, it before. Um, I think I got like a 34. I don't even know what it is. Is it like sexual <laughs> awareness on like a football field? Like what is it? No, it's, no, there, it's, it's like, like an IQ test kind of. It's like seemingly, seemingly inconsequential, like life, um, just decisions that it asks you to make, and just like I guess quick thinking ones. It's it's kind of just a, a medley of dumb trivia and or decision making questions. It it turns out that the uh, 
the rocket scientists behind the Challenger rocket were just all from Tennessee. <laughs> they, they they just find out about it now based on Josh Josh Dobbs' low Wonderlic score. We're like, wait a second, we need like, to reassess. Larry Fitz with an eighteen that's lower than Santonio Holmes and Andre Johnson. Like I don't know, Larry Fitzgerald struck me as much more of a scholar. Pitt. You know, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it this week. Uh, What do you think my over under should be? Um, We'll, we'll, we'll put that out there. And then next week we'll just, yeah, we could all do ours. What, what I will have gotten on the Wonderlick. It's like 40, it's 50, right? Isn't it 50 is perfect. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Beach, I'll give you a, I'll give you a 19 and a half. Whoa. All right. All right. Okay. (laughs) Let's see if no, I can I'll do, beat 19 and a half. I'd say 30. I'd say we'd let we'd all try to beat 30. So um, if we take into account if I get a good wonder lick, and obviously I have a high motor, my hand size are a question. So Mel Kuyper still might not like me in in this upcoming draft, but maybe my wonder lick goes a long way. I think I think one <laughs> of the big dis, like the one of the big factors is time. Like I think it's it's you know time runs out on you fast so you got to do it how, quick. how long okay so hopefully they time me in this one too so my over under is gonna be 19 and a half <laughs> uh we'll see if i can beat that and we will disclose on next week's episode as long as long as you can make a throw on pro day it doesn't matter yeah be, just aim to hit pick. the ceiling like anthony richardson like wow that guy's got a cannon so for here 19 and a half is the number so Right in that slot, you have just under Keenan Allen, Marvin Harrison, Emmanuel Sanders, and just over you have Doriel Green Beckham, Amari Cooper, and Curtis Samuel. So somewhere in between Keenan Allen and Curtis Samuel. And, Dor- and D- DGB. Yeah. What did uh what did Troutman get? What we I wanna I wanna get a sample for what that date and education Oh, that's get. a good question. I want I that. Is that public that's, information? That's what we're rocking here. I mean, he was drafted, so I'm assuming it's out there. But that would kind of be a good a good basis for where a where a University of Dayton education can get you on oh, the wonder list. Per per Reddit, I see a 27. Okay, um, shout out Troutman. 27, who, who, which is tied with Chase Claypool. Cole Komet got a 28. Who's Michael posting Adam Troutman's wonder so score on Reddit? Is my question probably Cam Spec? Honestly, just leaking it. It's from yeah. and wow, well, you know it's funny. Our NFL draft, but it's per up the butt. Jesus is the name of the Reddit. The Reddit <laughs> mob. Anybody, anybody who has that team. name on Reddit is a reliable source, as we've come to know. I mean, I, I, I genuinely would believe this wholeheartedly. Like, I'll pawn this yeah. information off. With, so, twenty-seven is the University of Dayton standard. I'm going to see if I can beat that. Uh, just to, you know, put, tout myself as uh, the best academic weapon that Dayton has put out. Uh, I'll toot my own horn on that. Oh, wow. So you want to hear, um, let's see, one, two, three, four. We had 14 wide receivers. Take that wonderlick. Coming in first is Michael Pittman. And in second Henry Ruggs. Wow. So Henry Ruggs, smarter than Jettas, T. Higgins, Jalen Rager, Denzel Mims, LaVisca Chenault. Damn, Van Jefferson is a dipshit. Oh, my God. So Henry Ruggs is that smart, but not smart enough to get. He only got a 20. It was a slow class here. 
to get in a car drunk as shit and kill uh, one, <laughs> one person. I so. guess that's not a question on the Wonderlic. Yeah. Should I drink? Hey, should you get in the car when dials? drunk? <laughs> um, te- Makai Becton, 15. Not great. Um, you're not, you're telling me Louisville's not, not putting out. Damn, rock dude. Tua, 13. Wow. That is like, so that it is, seems like this test just means nothing in regards yeah. to oh, I, I honestly success in the NFL. I honestly think it's one of those things where, like, there, there's, you know, People that are so much smarter than others don't score score as well, but um, some people aren't test takers. You know, they're they're classroom juggernauts, but can't really. Jake do Fromm that. had the highest of the quarterbacks at thirty five, and Jake Fromm strikes me as a dipshit too. So, hmm. Joe well, Burrow, tasty little thirty four. Um, oh, running backs, Lamichael P. Ryan, eight. Nice. That is absolutely terrible. That's low. J.K. Dobbins with a 16. A.J. Dillon, 30. That makes sense. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, 21. Would have actually expected a little higher coming out of Madison. 17 from Swift. That makes sense. Chase Young. Okay, Chase Young. You guys got guesses? What do you think Chase Young got? I bet he was honestly on the higher end. I'm going to go like 27. I was gonna say a fourteen. <laughs> uh pretty much right in the middle there, nineteen. Okay. So that's my over under. So am I pretty much smarter than Chase Young? Uh we will have an answer for Ooh, you. Oh, here's one. Here's a good one. Jeff Okuda. Twelve. Five. Damn, no respect for Jeff Okuda with a nice little 30 piece, dude. Wow. Yeah. Jeff. Smartest cornerback in NFL history. Dude, I know. I, These cornerbacks score terribly. They're, it's an anti-cornerback test. Jeff Okuda, I owe you an apology, big fella. I wasn't really familiar with your game. <laughs> <laughs> um, No single-digit corners, though, Um, or single-digit safeties. But Grant Delpit, 27, good score for a DB. Justin – or um, Antoine Winfield with a 20 – I'm trying to find uh, – there's got to be one really surprising score in here. Isaiah – who do you think scored higher, Isaiah Simmons or Kenneth Murray? Kenneth Murray. Uh, Isaiah Simmons. Kenneth Murray by nine. Wow, here we go. Isaiah Simmons, I always knew just watching him out there on defense that he wasn't much of a test taker. Smart kid, but not much <laughs> of a test taker. Just a pedestrian. All right, well, I get yeah, we'll all take the Wonderlick and report our scores back here post Penn State, Michigan this weekend. Yeah, should be a doozy. Uh, that strength of schedule remaining for Michigan, which is number one, uh, will be tested next week so or this weekend. So um, it'll be very exciting. Um, also, I'd love to say for the listeners, we're hoping to uh, get a special guest uh, next week. Uh, no, no spoilers here, obviously, on the podcast, but uh, – Stay tuned for next week. Uh, there will be a fourth voice here um, on the Split and Gas podcast. Samples. Kirk Cousins had a good year. Quavo gets cooking.